Lean forward slightly. Look straight at the speaker. And listen with a sparkle in your eye. As though you might be thinking, gee, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever heard in all my life. Straight out of the Welcome to So I Married a Movie Geek! Yay! You came back for more! Or you're here for the first time. And in that event, you're listening to a podcast wherein I, Chris McQueen, uh, am basically a novice to movies that everyone else in the world seems to have seen, especially my movie geek husband, Justin Winters. Say hi, Justin. Hi, Justin. (laughs) What's up, Chrissy? Hello! Great joining you here on this lovely, oh, it's afternoon now. It just hit the, the noon mark as we tape this. I love when you say joining me because it's like we've been home together every day of our damn lives for the last whatever it's been, 15 months. Thank you for joining me here at home again. <laughs> Thank you for sitting in this room, which is part of our home, which we have been stuck in for the last 17 months or whatever. Am I, am I supposed to say that? I was trying yes. to be profesh, Chris. Profesh. Oh, yes. Super profesh, guys. We're like in a studio and definitely not on our daughter's desk on which she performs Zoom for homeschool. Didn't want to pe- people to be sus about us. Look at you using sus and throwing it out there like you're just a Gen Zer. That's, that's, that's the only like real cool word now that I know about. So anyway, welcome to the podcast, guys. So So happy to have you here. Um, it's another week here in watching Moviesville. Uh, Chrissy's here with me <laughs> in, again in this. Which we established. <laughs> but it, it's a big week. Uh, May is just a big month for us all together. There's a lot, lot of stuff going on. We missed a week because of, there's lots of stuff going on. But this week in our life, we have two really big dates coming up. One of which is our son's sixth birthday. Yay! And as a movie podcast, he is a big movie fan as well. And so we've been spending a a lot of time trying to figure that out. You know, this is his second in the pandemic, which is really sad. I'm going to live pitch something to you right now, Justin. Because Camden, our soon-to-be six-year-old, is uh, every bit of the movie geek that Justin is. Our daughter, Brooklyn, who is eight, is a little more like me. She prefers shows and we watch series and we'll binge watch a whole season of something. But Camden will be like, let's watch a movie. I feel like we should allow him to pick the movie. That we- it's already set up. I said, you've got the movie. What, what's your birthday oh, movie? So he's, he's thinking about it. Nice. So I, I was like, whether it be a new film or an old film, whatever. So he's that that's in his court. But he also says, like, you know, I want some Spider-Man web shooters. It's been a big so, deal. So we we literally spent days just thinking about what does that mean? <laughs> because I think our son, and I went through this earlier in the pandemic when it was, like, really bad. But he's like, I want these web shooters that this guy makes on YouTube. Yep. And I was like, okay. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not the craftiest of people, but I sometimes can put some stuff together. And literally this guy on YouTube was like, he had like a soldering iron and like, you know, all these like materials, not just tools, like materials that like you would have to, this is not stuff you could just like run up to Home Depot and get. 
And so I was just like, oh, no. So since then, it's just like, what is what are the web shooters that will make him happy and not like he opens the present and he's like, you idiots. These are the wrong, the wrong web shooters. So It's bound to happen anyway because nothing store-bought is going to be with this guy soldered live on YouTube. <laughs> but it's funny because I actually tried to get him a web shooter that shoots out silly string and it's so cumbersome. We can't make it work. And so every time he uses it, he's like, how do you press the button? So we need to do better. So anyway, happy early birthday to him. But also... Uh, it's going to be our 12th wedding anniversary, That's which, is, crazy. which is super crazy, it's nuts. which is the same year that we started this podcast. So, wow, this thing has been going on for 12 years. Please kill us now. <laughs> Happy anniversary. My husband wants to have death visit us. No. Anyways. <laughs> Just no dot, dot, dot. Moving on. As I, there's, you know, smoke and fire engulfing us outside as we look outside. There was a nearby fire, and everyone here in LA, especially in the valley, is like, is it fire season already? Yeah. Well, in this case, there was an arsonist. So uh, an arsonist basically went into the Santa Monica Mountains and said, I'm going to light this shit on fire. And that he did. So the wind is all blowing north where we live, and it's just all smoky and awful. So this week, you know, in celebration of our wedding anniversary and, you know, reaching that date, Chrissy had the choice of what film to watch. And, you know, we're we're letting her pick, sometimes pushing her to choose a film because, you know, in the past, that's been one of the things Chrissy's like, I wouldn't have chosen this. Like, if I could choose the movies, I would enjoy this better, all this stuff. And we put the ball in her court and Chrissy's like frozen in fear. <laughs> it takes weeks, you know, so long just to her to choose a, a film. So you know, if one comes up, you're like, got to go with this one, no matter what it is. Feed the fish, whatever it is, we got we got to watch this film. So knowing that she had the choice and she uh, she chose the feature film, so props to her for for doing that. And a surprise, another one. Where I was like, oh, that's right, you haven't seen this movie. So first of all. <laughs> For those of you who haven't been listening for the past 12 years, Feed the Fish was a movie that I found randomly on Netflix something like eight years ago. And I said, oh, it's it's Tony Shalhoub. He's good in Monk. Like, hey, do we want to watch this? And Justin has not let me live it down as evidenced by what he just said. So the other thing is, uh, the reason I am somewhat fearful of choosing is because you're like, you can choose. And I'm like, great. What about... XYZ and you're like but maybe don't choose that because people don't care about that genre nobody wants to listen to that and I'm like okay what about what about this really are are, are you sure are you sure like really sure final answer sure so this time I was like I got it it's mission impossible cool and I was like yes let's do that let's do that but before that Chrissy we actually watched other things Beyond yes. beyond our film, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary, and Chrissy finally watched it. One of which is something that our whole family loved, and has basically come become one of those movies where we're just like, oh, just put it on, no matter what time it is. And I think we've seen it now a couple times, at least in passing, because uh, our kids love it. And that movie is called The Mitchells versus the Machines. Yeah. Has everyone seen this film? If you haven't, stop. 
Go on Netflix, watch it because it is fantastic. Chrissy? I watched it three times in like the first three to four days. The first time was I didn't know what I was getting into and then it was fantastic. The second time I asked the kids if they wanted to put it on. It was the very next day and we watched it again. And the third time the kids did it independently and I heard it in the background and went, I'm down and then sat down to watch it again. It is so funny and quick and witty. Uh, and I, you know, I have to say something, uh, some movies when they move very quickly in this, um, almost like Gilmore girls t- style of dialogue, but in movie making, it can be distracting and it feels like an ADHD ride. This rides that line very well. It does move exceptionally quickly, but it, you're with it. it. It's not too much, uh, real big props to uh, the people who made it. Uh, endlessly inventive the the animation style is is they're doing a lot of th- different types of things you know reminding this it's the same producers that brought us the uh spider-man into the mult the what's the name of the spider-man movie into the multiverse <laughs> no, i don't know <laughs> screwed it up Oh man, it's been a long morning already. The Spider-Man movies, the Lego movies, which are huge in our our house as well. Just really smart uh, film that both kids and parents can love with a lot of heart. Um, I kind of what did I call this movie? The Not So Incredibles. So imagine if it's a family that you know isn't that incredible, doesn't have superpowers, but kind of learn over the span of. The movie uh, during extraordinary events that they can work together as a family and, and succeed. So, obviously, as a family of four, we were just like lapping this up. So, I thought it was great. Chrissy has descended on our Furby in our daughter's room here. Stop, I- Chrissy. Have you not learned anything from the movie? <laughs> this thing can be hacked. I, I have in my hands a Furby from 1999 that. Uh, it's funny because I heard the director of uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines say that somebody in his family got him a Furby, and Furby plays a big part in the movie. And he said, "I was already a little too old to enjoy it, but I thought, all right." And it, and he ended up putting it in his closet. Where <laughs> if you've ever seen a Furby, they're kind of fun and also kind of creepy, so it's perfect. But uh, he and I are the same age, so I also got a Furby when I was probably a little too old to get a Furby, but I've kept it all these years, and I'm looking at it right now. He, he, he. Okay. Are you going to put it away now? Because it's really creeping me out. It doesn't even work anymore. I know. And I'm so sad. I want to figure out a way to make it work. <laughs> and, until it, you know, magically comes to life in the middle of the night and murders us all. Oh, that'd be so great. Not the murder part, but the coming to life part. So highly recommend The Mitchells vs. the Machines on Netflix. Check it out. Great for all. Another movie that I recently watched, uh, not yesterday, the day before, on Hulu, which I I generally liked from 2021, is called Boss Level. Again, it's on Hulu. Boss Level is the uh, newest movie from Joe Carnahan, action director. Uh, one of my favorites in the past he's done was, uh, what was The Gray with Liam Neeson. Anyway, this movie stars Frank Grillo. And also has Mel Gibson playing the bad guy. And basically the movie is, imagine something like uh, Groundhog Day or uh, Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise movie of someone kind of caught in a time loop, you know, having to, kind of like a video game, having to kill people, caught in a time loop, having trying to figure out the mystery of why he's caught in this time loop. But I highly enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty great. 
Um, I love anything involving you know time travel travel and time loops like that. And this one was on Hulu's got a page. I don't know how long they've had this, Chris, but they have a ninety minute movies page, Mm -hmm. like one of those tabs on Hulu. And I'm like, every single streaming channel should have this because sometimes you're just looking for something that's not you know ultra long. You know, you just got ninety minutes. So I thought it's pretty. It's inventive. It moves fast. I like Frank Grillo, and I think this movie serves him well. Um, so, yeah, boss level. Check it out. Pretty good on Hulu. Cool. Uh, what else? Chrissy. Yeah. I'm kind. I'm not watching it with you, but if I see a scene or two, I don't mind because I'm never going <laughs> to go from the beginning. But you're back on The Handmaid's Tale. How's that going? So season four just debuted at the end of April. And, you know, Hulu does the thing where they drop three episodes right away, and then uh, they make you wait, and they trickle it out every week thereafter. So this is one of those shows that if you started from the beginning and you're kind of like a devout follower of the show, you can't let it go. You have to see it through. But it gets progressively harder to watch because the the first season and into the second season are really more about the politics of this dystopian place called Gilead, right? And how we got there and flashbacks to, you know, kind of the trajectory and and seeing, you know, yes, the horrible things that can happen in a um, totalitarian society. But seasons three and now season four, to an extent, end up being a little more about like, let's find more ways that we can gratuitously hurt the women in the story. And I'm not necessarily sure that it furthers the plot. It just is violence, seemingly sometimes for the sake of saying, look how horrible it is here. So... That was definitely a thing in season three-ish towards the end and the first couple of episodes of season four. But now I feel like it's finally hit its stride. The last episode especially was a cliffhanger episode and uh, I kind of can't wait to see what happens uh, in it next week. It'll debut on Wednesday. Hmm. Yeah, still not my thing. If, if it goes, if, if it ends up being... Um, plot rich in the next couple of episodes i think that we can all forgive the slog of violence that it took to get us to this point but i really want to see what happens season two of the american version of the circle finished and we finished that which we highly love and i still think is one of like the best reality like newish reality shows out there and i'm wondering I, I think I read in Variety or Hollywood Reporter that they were shutting it down in the UK. Like, they're, you, do they have a UK version? I don't know. It's one, it's one of those shows like Floor is Lava where I'm like, they should have never stopped producing this. Like, if we, can, if we get, like, seven versions of 90 Day Fiance, but we only have one version, you know, of The Circle here in the US, like, I don't understand why they're not making more of it, so... Highly recommend that, and we were, I know we were happily surprised with who won that, so still suggest watching that if you haven't seen that. If people were to only watch one season or one version, because there has been a Brazil version and a France version, what season or uh, country should people watch? Um, well, I think I've suggested a couple people do it, uh, watch the show anyway, and I suggest they watch season one of the U.S. version for one reason. Number one, it, it, it's a little slower in the beginning, and it kind of teaches you how the show works. 
and that season the cast was a, a really great cast that you kind of wanted to get to know first before they got into the mix. So I know that I kind of remarked that in the season two of the U.S. version is they kind of sped through every getting to know everyone as as deeply as the first season. And I don't know if that was them just the production just being like, let's get to it. Let's get to the drama quickly. But I remember watching season one and they like the first couple episodes, they really spent getting to know who these people are. There was a lot more of them like trying to figure out how they how they wanted their profile to look, how like which pictures they chose. And maybe that's like getting down into the nitty gritty that a lot of people didn't want to know about. But considering the show and how important those profiles and pictures were and how their choices kind of um, uh, taught you what kind of person they are and what kind of game they wanted to play, I kind of appreciated that. So, And, and like I said, you know, you, you can start anywhere you want because basically everything's self-contained. But that was the first one we watched and I thought that was a really good introduction to the show as a whole. So. Agreed. Season one, I will say, is good if you were very unfamiliar with the concept because Justin's right. It does set it up well for you to understand any other iteration of it. I do feel like the people on season one are all really good people. So when you're like, who do I root for? You're like, I don't know. They're all fairly nice and they're all friends and it's kind of hard to find. It feels like it's very just real people who are put in this situation and let's see what happens. And they're all very polite. Uh, the second season, I not that anybody is, uh, you know, not great in terms of you know just being a good person, like I said for season one, but it feels more character driven. Like I feel like everybody's good TV, and uh, so it's more entertaining, but less uh, introspective. I mean, with with any reality show that becomes a success, the first the <clears throat> sorry. The first season is, you know, innocent. They don't know the rules. They're pretty much making up things as they go. While the seasons after, I mean, the people in season two said, I watched season one and stuff. So they know the game and they know how things are going. So that's another reason why I like the first season. They didn't know what they were signing up for. Like they and some people became lifelong friends and there wasn't like a lot of evil villainry. While the second season were like, the people were like, I watched the first season. This is how I'm going to work it. This is how things are going to go. And you kind of like lose the spontaneity of that. So if you watch reality TV as a genre and you're like us, you watch certain shows and think, I would be great at this. Or in the case of like Survivor, I would be terrible at this. So, Justin, do you think that you would be a good contestant on The Circle and why? What can I interview? Well, you've asked me this before on this podcast. You keep asking me this question. I just love it and want to know. <laughs> I think we both said yes. We would both do well because, you know, we're good. We're pretty good people. People, 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 persons. Yeah, we're pretty good people. People, people. And, you know, we're of the millennial generation. I, I saw, I'm, I was born in 80 and people can't get where I am to save their life. Chrissy's like, you're a millennial, but I'm like, this says I'm Generation X. And then a recent thing said that both me and you might be geriatric millennials, quote. I, I read that, yeah. So, so the, yeah, geriatric millennial is a fun way of putting it, but we're technically zennials with an X because we are right on the cusp at the end of Gen X and right on the cusp of uh, geriatric millennial. Cool. Anyway, check it out. The Circle, several seasons on Netflix. Another show that I've been watching recently that I have enjoyed with the kids is The Mighty Ducks Game Changers, Chrissy. Cool. 
So you know how last year our kids were telling all their friends about how much they love Cobra Kai and people kicking people in the face and stuff? Oh, yeah. So Cobra Kai is obviously the series that came after The Karate Kid, and it was it had a little bit of bite to it. They curse and stuff in that show, and you know at times I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be watching this with the kids, but they're okay. But The Mighty Ducks Game Changers is the new show on Disney+, Plus, which is kind of a reboot of the Mighty Ducks movies, and it is way more wholesome. Uh, it's got Lauren Graham in the show, and she's, you know, Always good, no matter where you put her, basically. And then they have new kids, and the the spin of the show is the Mighty Ducks are kind of like the villains in the show. Uh, the One of the main kids in the show kind of uh, gets kicked off that team of the Mighty Ducks, and him with his mom, played by Lauren Graham, go and develop their own team. Uh, to go against the Mighty Ducks. So that has confused our kids a lot because they're like, why is this called the Mighty Ducks? It should be called the... Um, I forgot what they named Oh, it. yeah, I heard them say this. They were talking about like the other team that was actually better and wholesome and nice. Yeah. So, um, But Emilio Estevez is back in this show and is kind of playing like a more like older, slightly curmudgeon but surprisingly like... You're just like, yes, Emilio is back as this kind of like Papa Bear, like coach to these kids. So we've had a good time with it. Uh, They just recently had an episode where they brought a number of the old school Mighty Ducks players back in the show. And that was fun to watch. So like I said, I've, I've enjoyed it. They've enjoyed it. I think it's a solid show. So check that out. Last thing is another show that I think the best thing about streaming channels is you can... Uh, come across TV shows that are in several seasons already, like you're several years behind, and you can quickly binge them and kind of catch yourself up to the hype. And in that aspect, we have a new show in our house, which I particularly love and Chrissy's seen son of. And now Chrissy's mom is watching and she loves it as well. It's on HBO Max. It's called Search Party. I'm sure there's several people out there like, yeah, Search Party, of course. But guys... If you have never seen Search Party before, how I would describe it is if you mashed like the um, wild like character mystery type feel of like a uh, like a clue type caper with how would you say Chrissy with like a, a Buffy esque Scooby Doo gang who also is not as adept as uh, any of those, the Scooby-Doers or the Buffy gang were, and then they're trying to help each other and navigate sometimes funny and sometimes terrible situations together. Yes, yes. So I had um, another podcast I listened to called Slash Filmcast. They've been talking about the show for uh, several times this year, and they're like, you got to get into it. It's on HBO Max now. It used to be on TBS or TNT, and now, you know, it's a crazy show. You need to watch it. I watched the first season. The basic setup of the show is um, four people in their late 20s in New York um, are friends, and one of their friends who they had gone to school with back in the day uh, goes missing. And the the main character, uh, her character name is Dory. She's played by Alia Shawkat from Arrested Development, takes upon herself, even though she really didn't know this uh, girl back in the day that well, you know, kind of like a Facebook friend type thing. She's like, I'm going to find out what happened. 
and she kind of ropes in her her boyfriend and her, their two best friends into like a Scooby Doo like mystery caper of trying to find this this girl. Is she missing? Is she dead? What happened to her? And basically, the series just kind of um, goes from there. It spins off the rails pretty easily. I will say this is one of those shows that uh, it, it has, a, I think, a certain niche audience. If you are the type of uh, <laughs> consumer of media who prefers a three-camera sitcom with a live audience laughing, a CBS show, if you will, this is not your show. You this is this is not something I think you will find funny. You won't enjoy it. But if you are a fan of things like curb your enthusiasm or it's funny we mentioned monk um earlier it's like, always sunny in philadelphia yes. like at, at some point and one of the reasons i really love the show because i've now seen all four seasons there are is it's endlessly i said inventive about something earlier but this show really has that because every season seems like a different type of show like the first season is like a mystery comedy and then it gets into like a psychological like thriller type thing in season two. And then season three, which I think is my favorite, it's like kind of like a courtroom drama type thing going on. They're like really, um, you know, taking bits and pieces from different shows and genres they like and kind of spinning it out. And that coupled with like the Coen Brothers like type energy of these characters who are all really just like terrible, neurotic. terrible people, neurotic, liars, kind of try to dig themselves out of these situations they get in and like basically make the hole deeper and deeper for themselves, I think is, you know, highly entertaining. So search party, check it out on HBO Max. I recommend it. But we got to get to the main feature film of today, a film that is this coming week celebrating its 25th anniversary came out may 22nd 1996 it is a film that chrissy had never seen before until this past week it is called mission impossible then are going to play the music because as soon as you said that in my head I'm like dun 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 this was a big deal back in 1996 this is one of those where I'm like how did you not see this movie back then this is like inescapable I was 12 and well I know you're like so what but if I'm not mistaken it's also the same year that Jerry Maguire came out. And so there was only room in my heart for one Tom Cruise movie at a time. And it was Jerry Maguire for me. Wow. I guess we're just different about that because I think that's come up several times in this podcast. We're like, I didn't see this really, 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 really popular film that year because this other really, really popular <laughs> film with the same actor, which I really, really love, was in the same year. And I'm like yes why didn't you watch that one too anyway every i'm sure everyone has seen this film if not the imdb logline for this one because there's been several was an american agent under false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization dun, dun, dun. mission impossible so this first one guys if you don't remember of course starred tom cruise Jean Voigt, uh, Chrissy, French. Uh, Emmanuel Beret. I don't know. Beret? 
Yes. Yeah, I think the T is silent. Yes. Uh, and then we have Jean Renault, Ving Rames. Who else do we have? Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, Vanessa oh, yeah. Redgrave. Just tons of people. We had a um, uncredited Emilio Estevez oh, to yeah. bring back the Mighty Ducks. Tons of people in this movie. Of course, directed by Brian De Palma. Written by, I know, several people. Let's see. We had David Kep, Steven Zalian, uh, Robert Town. Uh, pitched in for this screenplay. One of the biggest films of that year. Chrissy finally watched it. Chrissy, what'd you think? I mean, it's great. You, if you think I'm going to come on this podcast and be like, I just watched Mission Impossible for, for the first time and it sucked. Like, yeah, another thing coming. It was fantastic. I had seen one thing before. Uh, this The the extended cut of when Tom Cruise is lowered from the ceiling, you know, in, the, in Langley. And he, he's trying to get a 3.5 floppy out, which is fantastic. Uh, so I knew that part and I was familiar with it. But we watched that scene alone twice in, in this uh, watch of the entire movie. My only gripe, if I were to have one, is that sometimes there's a, a lot going on in a way that if you blink or if you go pee, you come back and you've missed something important. And then the plot has changed course, essentially, in terms of the, who is the who done it, who is screwing who, not like really screwing, but you know what I mean. Uh, but overall, it's a fantastic. But sometimes, maybe. Yeah, sometimes, you never know. But sometimes, uh, I mean, sometimes. <laughs> overall, I got, I got my brain got screwed up because you said that. Uh, overall, it's obviously a great, great movie. Very ahead of its time. Um, and I liked it a lot. Nice. Nice. So watching this, and I haven't seen this one in forever. They're making, they've been making the eighth one, I think. The eighth and ninth one. Which the, everyone says he must be going to space or something. But watching this one, I'm like, the blueprint is here. This is the film. Like this is the the trigger film that kind of caused so much to happen in you know uh, film. How big this was for Paramount. How big this was for Tom Cruise because at that time he was like the hottest of hot. Like he had just had. Top Gun. Peak Tom Cruise. He had uh, Born on the Fourth of July. Like uh, he had Rain Man. Like all these movies, and he was like hot as hell. And he's like, you know what? I'm gonna take all this heat, and I'm gonna start my own production company. So then I can have the control. And that is the that's the word that Tom Cruise loves. So watching this movie after you know you know the past 25 years of Tom Cruise. Scientology. This movie had had to have been huge. Like, take this out as a linchpin, and everything that came after. Yes. Would Scientology be still around? Like, you know, we love Ooh, we love our deep. we love our Tommy Boy the actor, but Tommy Boy the Scientologist, no bueno. No, definitely no bueno. So this movie has made uh, not this movie, but the franchise has made more than three billion dollars overall. Like. I, that, I, I think you got a good point. Like, the, perhaps the points alone on this movie funded Scientology. So Tom Cruise was at the craps table, you know, wind at his back, you know, surrounded by females. And he's like, I'm going to put all the chips on me. And everybody's like, oh, okay, okay. And he's been laughing his way to the bank on Hope Oprah's couch for <laughs> 25 years now. So watching this movie, I was like... Man, this is a great film. Um, 
it's got its problems. I mean, it's basically like a tent. It's got the beginning, it's got the middle portion, and it's got the end. And everything that's not that in this movie is just kind of like gobbledygook, baby, you know? Because you're like, I could walk away to the bathroom and not know what's going on. I, I would say that you could stay and you kind of might not know what's going on at some times. That's, that's true. I was saying that specifically because I know myself and I know that if my brain flits away for a second. But I thought most people probably get it unless they go to the bathroom. Uh, you know what's interesting to me, though? So I think I've seen maybe one other Mission Impossible movie in the theater with a friend in high school. I couldn't tell you for the life of me which one it was or what the hell happened in it. But I do remember it being all about the action. Like there was a plane and flying in practically towards a cliff. And I have to admit, there's something in my brain that turns off when there's too much action in a movie for me. The reason that I like movies, action movies like Speed, is because there is action, but that's not the central thesis of the plot. There's more to it than that. And I think that's a part of the reason that I like this uh, original Mission Impossible. Like To me, obviously, the best sequence in the whole movie is what I was saying earlier about Tom being lowered down to you know do his work in Langley. It wasn't that crazy scene towards the end where they're in the English Channel and there's the train and a plane going through it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Cool, crazy. But if that's the whole movie, if it's all that, you lose me uh, as a viewer. And I, I don't know if other people feel that way, maybe more women than men. But but I think that's something that's happened in the subsequent Mission Impossible movies. It's gotten a little too action-y from what I've seen, at least, uh, as a passerby. I mean, we. I guess the only thing we could do is watch them all for you to see. <laughs> uh, True. You, you don't remember the one you've seen? Um but this one just sets up the blueprint of Tom Cruise ha- wants to have the control and wants to show you that he's doing it. He's doing these stunts. And if you keep giving him money, he'll keep putting himself in crazy situations where he might die. How is he insured? That's, I'm sure that's got to be a good part of the budget. Uh, especially because he just keeps trying to top himself year after year. But... I don't know. Yeah. So alternatively watching it, and you're like, man, this is really set in the blueprint, but also this is kind of bad because it empowers, you know, Scientology and stuff. I also really love the Brian De Palma-ness of, of this movie. It's not, you know, it, he he's like, this is his kind of like Hitchcock film that he puts the imprint on the Mission Impossible uh, franchise from the start. He's got his candid angles and and all the split diopter type lenses and stuff there's all all kinds of stuff that he's doing with a camera and and lighting and stuff which i enjoy but it's all i mean it's all about the middle part of this movie with that but i do love the the channel scene with the anyone that's like you know what let's have this really fast train because i don't know if you noticed chrissy but i don't think he was on like a track you know, going through Europe or whatever, getting blown. But they had a a wind machine. Uh, I was looking into it because this the, being the 25th anniversary, there's lots of articles like how they did this, how did that. But perfect timing. No, Tom Cruise was basically like, "We're here in Europe. Give me like the you, the fastest, you know, strongest fans ever, and I want you to just blow me down this train, you know, in a studio like with a green screen and like." <laughs> There are different types of fans, y'all. There's like the fan in your house. Then there's like the Victoria's Secret model fans that just blow their hair effortlessly off their face. And then there's whatever the fuck Tom Cruise fan that he had. Not like Tom Cruise fan, like, ah, like fan, like, 
and his skin was being pulled backward off his face. It was a wind facelift. Anyway, I'm just like, okay, like if you're going to have a fan, have that fan. Um, really weird uh, subplot, which I guess they excise part of between. Uh, uh, no, no, no. What happened? It wasn't this. They just detected feedback, it said. Uh, Hold on. It paused the recording altogether. Uh, Hold on. It's fine. I can do no feedback protection. Monitor on. We lost the connection for just a sec. Making sure it's reconnected. Yes. And we're back. I was about to say. There, there was a romantic subplot between Tom Cruise, Emmanuel Bear. Is that how you say a French mm-hmm. name? She must have been, I don't know, in this movie, 20, 21, 22, super, super young, doe-eyed. And John Vo- the character played by John Voight, who I know you, I didn't watch the TV series, but apparently his character in the TV series was a huge deal. And he was like the kind of like the the Nick Fury of everyone like Papa Bear like gets all their orders from him. So, I didn't know at the time because again, I didn't watch the show, but a lot of the the people that watched the series was kind of pissed that his character in this film, again, 25 years ago, so we're not spoiling anything, becomes the bad guy. Yeah. You know what's funny? I thought his death or faked death something was off. I didn't know what at the time, but I'm like, "Wait a minute. How does that Okay. I'm not sure. Is it because now, you know, 25 years later, like we can't trust John Voight. He's kind of a cuckoo bird. Anything he says, you're like, just don't trust him. He's not. Not going to lie. Are you here for the gossip? Because I saw him in the very beginning. I went, oh, it's John Voight. And I'm like, oh, we hate John Voight nowadays. Uh, okay, fine. You know, we're going to watch it anyway. It's going to be fine. Uh, but I was kind of glad when he died. Uh, real quick. So you were talking about articles being out because it's the 25th anniversary. I was reading a little bit about... Um, our lovely French actress, Emmanuel, we're going to script your last name, Bert. And you're right. She was very young and very doe-eyed. Evidently, she'd already done some work in French films before she uh, signed on for Mission Impossible. And somewhere between those French films and this movie, she admitted that she got plastic surgery uh, and she had a lip injection job. And she says it was a bad lip job. And so when she watches this movie, she's just distracted by what she thinks, how how unfortunate her lips look like, you know, a little bit like stuck in a pool drain. And it's funny. I thought about that. I thought that's so sad on many levels. First of all, that she watches what was an incredibly huge movie and has to think that. Second, that she was so young and felt that she had to already mess with her absolutely gorgeous face at such an early age. And thirdly, it made me think about the other franchise movies of Mission Impossible, James Bond, um, basically all of them where there's these beautiful women who are ancillary to the plot, right? And if you watch them, like if you did a supercut on YouTube over the years, they get even more impressively, supposedly beautiful. I'm putting that in air quotes in my head. But it's all, all makeup and false eyelashes and quite clearly like lip jobs and eyebrow lifts and no seriously like over the years it it, it, they've they stray farther and farther from the classical beauty and it becomes that like if you put side by side a 1996 emmanuel 
whatever, B, <laughs> with whoever was in the last one, I can guarantee you the second one will look like a Kardashian. And in this one, she has her hair in a low ponytail. It's anyway, commentary on misogyny in film and, and makes me sad both for her specifically and the lineage of the torches women have had to carry. Well, that's ho- lately the the later Mission Impossibles have luckily given a lot better roles to the the women in the movie. We have a lot of kick ass women in the Mission Impossible universe now, but there was, wasn't a lot to do in this film. I mean, Vanessa Redgrave pops up for a second, but she she isn't really given a lot to do other than you know talk to Tom Cruise and stuff. But sure. um, was the other thing? Um, but I am impressed. I don't know if you. Back in the day, Tom Cruise would always seem to be in films where he was pl- right r- right on the top card with actors who had been like big back in the 70s. So this one, he had like John Voight. He was in Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman. He was in uh, whatever. It, it seems like he was always... Oh, Paul Newman. He was in The Color of, of Money with Paul Newman. He was always looking for a uh, like a, a really popular director. Like this one, he had Brian De Palma, but also like a heyday actor that he can like be, you know, put his little things in his, his shoe insoles to like r- raise him up to... Uh, <laughs> proper height but erasers he's he's sitting or standing on erasers in his shoe i tried that by the way at six flags magic mountain when i was a kid to try to get on gold rush and i did i got on and then as i was sitting ready to do the ride the guy came over because he i guess i was sitting down i looked short and he was like stand back up take off your shoes and he measured me again and i was like damn it and i didn't get to do the ride this movie also has a classic tom cruise running away from something scene. So Tom Cruise loves running, running away from things. But this one has one of my favorites because I remember watching this in a theater when I was, what, how old was I then? Uh, 15? Yep, 15. There's a a scene in this film that was uh, reading back, Tom Cruise deliberately wanted to shoot at this restaurant that had like aquariums everywhere and I was like, I can imagine that conversation. That that sounds like a place to produce something. But he's like, I want all these aquariums. And then there's explosion. And then there's just like water everywhere. And I have to run away from it. But in this movie, it has that scene. And it is a tense scene. You're like, you think about it. That'd be kind of funny to watch. Like, why are they the aquariums? Blah, blah, blah. But the way Brian DeBalma films it, he's got the candid angles. He's got the one of the kind of bad guys played by the guy that I can't even say his name, Henry CZ. He's got one of those CZ last names. You know the guy who was in Clear and Present Danger. He was in this movie. I hear he's coming back. He played Kidrick. You know the guy with the eyebrows. Yes. Anyway, exploding gum. Exploding gum in an aquarium. What do you think of that? Good stuff? I was sad for the fish. I mean, yes, it was very good. But, you know, I mean, I was like, oh, the I didn't see a lot fish. of fish, though. Oh, yeah. So are their deaths less important because they weren't in schools of fish, Justin? Uh, I'd hate to cl- imagine having to clean that. You know that they don't have like a separate, you know, like fish crew and like restaurant crew. They have to like mix that up. They what? had to have, no, because the American Humane Society has to be on set for any animal, so there has to be, like, an animals weren't harmed in the making No, I'm talking film. about in the reality of the film. Like, the people that have to work there at the, the aquarium, like, is it a seafood restaurant, number one? Because if so, that's really weird. Ew. 
Number two, like I said, do they have a uh, front of the line crew for the the restaurant, and then like the the fish, the huge fish tank people as well? Talk I'm really about an episode of Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> Can you see Gordon Ramsay walking in and being like, "So I just want to know, front house, what are you doing with this fish tank? You cleaning it? No. Put on your gloves. We're going to clean it right now." terrible Gordon Ramsay impression but you get the idea I mean I don't know the strong the the glass was not strong enough to withstand chewing gum bombs but I would outside of that I would be afraid that there's just a lot of glass there if I was working there so True. True. uh what else Chrissy <laughs> we're running out of steam on Mission Impossible oh, man. I mean what is there to say like I said it's all about the the action sequ- like the beginning I, I really enjoyed like the getting to know the crew really quick as they're going in on this job and then realizing oh no there goes the crew um Let, and- let's spend one minute talking about the scene of the movie at Langley uh, and unpacking that because there are a few things so number one I mean I, I know- love that I'm like here talking about the beginning and you're like let's talk about the middle scene instead <laughs> Oh, no, I thought you were just making a commentary about like, oh, like you, the beginning scene was great because you got to kind of know the characters in their little band and how they all work together. You know what I talk, it's like a tent. The movie's like a tent. Like the best part is in the middle. That's the top of the tent. And then the beginning part where we get to know the crew and Emilio Estevez's character has the weirdest out of the blue death in any film maybe ever because I... Have you seen Death Spa? <laughs> I was thinking of Speed when we were watching this Mission Impossible because we Speed is on HBO now and you know it's on our TV like at opportune spots throughout the day sometimes but there's a lot there's a elevator sequence in that movie but the, the elevator sequence in this movie Emilio Estevez is like a hacker and he's like on top of this elevator that starts getting controlled by someone else but then there's like some like spiky things what i want to know is chrissy there's no way those spiky things were like germane to the elevator that like someone had to put them there right or like i don't know how the spiky things work with the elevator like going up and stuff right so i had that passing thought as well and i almost made you stop and rewind it so i could see it again and i also thought of speed because we have the same brain but i thought maybe it was germane to the system like maybe this was like one of those I don't even know if this really exists, but some sort of like magnetic thing, like for the elevator itself to make it more fluid or high end, like some elevators you step on, like a Four Seasons elevator is a good example. And no no matter how tall the building is, it doesn't even feel like you're moving. You're just like, wow, how smooth. And then there are elevators like the one at my office where you might get stuck in it. Like you really, it's a genuine percentage of, of possibility that you might. So maybe those little spiky thingies were, were less about spikes, more as a way to like grab the elevator, like like a claw machine when it comes should up be, to the top. Should be like a bunch of catcher's mitts or something up there. <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't seem practical. I mean, it's like you're in Vegas at like one of those really tall high rises and you like you're at the top and you're like, okay, let's go down. We got like main lobby, lower lobby, and like machetes lobby. <laughs> You know, don't go all the way down or the machetes will will pierce the elevator. We're not going to explain why the machetes are there, but that's why it says ML, machetes lobby. And you're like, why even have the machetes lobby? Like, this just doesn't seem... Why not have the machetes lobby? I think that's what we should be asking ourselves. 
I'm just saying, if Emilio Estevez was the hacker, like he would have scoped things out, and he would have saw those like knife-looking things at the top, and they wouldn't have gone in his eyeball. <laughs> Let's just blame John Voight, because if it wasn't germane to the system, John Voight put them there on purpose, and he sucks. I would have liked to have seen what this romantic subplot, which they obviously cut some part of it out of the movie, like was it super sexy or something? There... There's literally, I watched back the trailer of Mission Impossible, the original one. There's a shot of him and Emmanuel. When we say your character name, I think of the Emmanuel movies back in the day. <laughs> Emmanuel goes to Bangkok. Uh, there's a shot of them making out in the trailer, but they are not making out in this movie. There's like some, you know, like some sparks at some point, but there's nothing. And then at the end, you know, John Voight comes back as like, you know, I did this, like, you and her. And we're like, what? Just because she's really attractive? Were we supposed to infer that they they did hook up? What? So from a directing slash editing standpoint, because you know I am both, <laughs> uh, I, I actually have a theory on this. My guess is that in early iterations of the movie, they thought it made her to be too much of a Jezebel and therefore uh, able to blame. And probably Tom Cruise. You know, they were trying to really put him, paint him in this protagonist light. So I can see how after watching a cut where they do have a whole thing, they're like, wait, John Voight's body isn't even cold yet. Nah, it doesn't make those two characters look good. So let's just, you know, have like chemistry tension as opposed to acting on it. And then when John Voight comes back and then he's like, and you did this. I think that they purposely want the audience to infer that he is possessive and jealous. And also, you know, it just hammers the point home that he's even that much more of an antagonist as opposed to like, no, he actually has a point because they did make out or do more. Who knows? Usually Brian De Palma films have some, you know, eroticism of some kind. That's like one of his uh, calling cards. So it was missing that, I guess, in a... uh, (laughs) A blockbuster film in 1996, maybe the Paramount uh, crew was like looking at this and like, no, let's take out the the threesome no. <laughs> between John Voight, no, Tom no, Cruise. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants a threesome with John Voight. I'm just going to say that right now. Also, I know that Tom Cruise probably wanted his own James Bond and everything, and I like the gadgets and everything, but let me ask you this. When he's running all and he's like running around and trying to solve these mysteries, but he has this chewing gum in his pocket that if the size meat explode, (laughs) how do you contain that in your pocket and and stuff? Like, is there some kind of containment unit? Because, you know, I have, I can barely keep stuff in my pockets, let alone keep the gum parts from, from. (laughs) Double your pleasure, double your fun. That's the statement of the great man of exploding gum. Boom. Yeah, I had the same thought. Just looking at me like, holy crap, where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know. Came from my soul. Uh, I had the same thought about the damn gum. And at one point when he takes it out, and it like takes him a second in the aquarium scene to fiddle with it, to get it to like close right on each other. I'm like, oh, this is... Because well, he uses he uses it more than once. And so when he uses it the first time, which is in like the aquarium scene where people are having to also you know serve people but also clean the tanks uh he uses it then i'm like okay good use of that but later on he's got more and i'm like wait a minute how many sticks of this does he have how does he keep the sticks apart in the thing that he has it where it doesn't accidentally explode where he's running around and stuff guys how do i could barely keep 
keep track of my wallet and my cell phone together. But this guy's got to do this. So for those of you who suffer with adult acne, <laughs> you will know that they make these like little hydrocolloid patches now that you can put on your face when you have a zit and it kind of absorbs all the crap. If you have like a deep one, they make ones that have like these tiny little spikes that like you, it stings for just a second and then it helps get rid of it. But when you buy them, first there's an outer package, then there's an inner package, then there's like a double plastic thing you have to rip apart, and then there's like an adhesive part that you have to get on the very inside, and then you stick it on your face. It takes three levels of plastic to get to this zit sticker. And he had exploding gum in a little aluminum single gum thing that came from a double mint pack. I'm just, I'm just saying, the, the time and expertise involved in dropping down into Langley, I would assume <laughs> he would be just as careful dipping his hand into his pocket yeah, right? to get the, you know, the gum packet, pulling it out, pulling out the individual sticks, you know. You don't want to sneak cargo shorts for that. You need like a big ass pocket where you're not likely to like friction it or something. I, I I would just think you need like individual like length long length pods for each stick. But then you have multiple pods. Like this is it's- you need a zit sticker <laughs> setup. I'm telling you. And by the way, that's the name of the company. Zit sticker. It's fabulous. But yep, that's what you need. Okay. So wait. Can we now? Can we talk about the big scene? Please, please. Can we unpack it? Go ahead. Okay. So. Okay, guys, <laughs> this scene is amazing because of the the way that all the puzzle pieces first to set it up of like, all right, we got to get this guy out of the room. How are we going to get him out of the room? Okay, well, we got to reverse engineer it. So he gets poisoned with Ipecac or that's what I'm assuming what it is to make him sick. And then, you know, at every turn they have thought about every little thing. And it's so cool to see it play out. But their plans are almost completely thwarted by a rat and I thought to myself as I'm watching this this rat be like you know and get closer to where um one of the guys was holding the the rope and holding up all of Tom Cruise's weight that rat almost caused him to ruin the whole effing thing don't you just let the rat keep going if you're that much of a badass at that point don't you just be like whatever and keep going I mean it depends Chrissy uh, certain people have certain traumas, PTSD. Maybe he had rat PTSD. You never know. Like they could have had like a flashback to like when he was a little kid, and you know his parents were uh, dramatically and you know sadly eaten by a pack of rats. And, I mean, and what now- is this a DC movie? <laughs> like, was the rat named Martha? I, 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 Maybe. I mean, it's possible. But like, I think about the Bourne movies. The you know, like Jason Bourne, and. I can't see a rat getting in the way of anything Jason Bourne had planned to do or anybody in his entourage. Like, no way. It's not a thing. And yet, this rat almost cost them the entire uh, process of trying to get this uh, information, the knock list, out of Langley. I don't know. I don't know. Also, does that technology actually exist? Because if so, I want it in a lot of things. Not the rat. But like, <laughs> you're like, what? But We can... We've figured out rats, Chrissy. Yes, the rat technology does exist. <laughs> I meant like the sensitive floor where like a drop of water will cause an alarm to go off and, you know, a fluctuation of one degree in temperature and all of those uh, systems that they were able to bypass. But like, does that technology 
actually exist now 25 years later? I can say yes, it does exist, Chrissy. I, I sell the technology myself. <laughs> uh, I love that all of that was like set up, but in terms of sound, it, everything didn't need to be silent. There was there was allowed a small amount of sound so that they could have like the the rope and stuff sounds going and stuff. No, so. I, well, they, I love that the, they're whispering to each other the entire time. It's like a um, what's the is it ASR? No, I forgot the. Yes. Yeah, it's that's what's called ASR. ASMR. Yeah, AS, ASMR. Yeah. ASMR. It's like an ASMR wet dream where they're just whispering and then like you hear the little occasionally when there's too much sound and then you're right the the sound of the rope skidding itself because it's gone off its runner uh i mean seriously like put on your headphones turn on the movie and just listen to it it's really good um what if you so if you were jean renault's character and like a cockroach was there chrissy would you be like you know what never mind i'm cool i'm totally chill i got this rope no, you would not be. So I knew you were going to ask me that, and I'm prepared to answer. Of course I wouldn't be. But I'm also not a CIA badass. That's kind of the whole thing here, right? Like, you wouldn't put me in that position anyway. Well, first of all, I couldn't hold up Tom Cruise's weight. But beyond that suspension of disbelief, like, no, of course not. I suck at this. But these people do not suck at this. So I would expect that they'd be cool with, like, something unexpected being thrown their way like a rat. Oh, my God. So I'm, I'm looking on IMDb. And we're, we're back at Aquari- Aquarium Restaurant. That's what I'm calling it, Aquarium Restaurant. It said, uh, this was Tom Cruise's idea. There was 16 tons in all of the tanks. And there was a concern that when they detonated, a lot of glass would fly around. Brian De Palma tried the sequence with a stuntman, but it did not look convincing. And he asked Cruise to do it, despite the possibility that Cruise could have drowned. And Tom Cruise is like, yes, me. How does he look at this and say, wow, that stuntman wasn't very convincing, but my non-stuntman front actor, Tom Cruise, will probably be more convincing. That tells me either that Tom Cruise is superhuman, which perhaps he is. Hey, Scientology, it works, whatever. Or that the stuntman wasn't very good at his job, based on what you just said. He just likes the thrill. He likes the control and the thrill of putting himself in a dangerous position. Tommy Cruise, Scientology. By the way, Chrissy, what did you think of him giving back his Golden Globes recently? He made a big show that Tom Cruise is like, I'm giving back my Golden Globes. <laughs> so this is one of those problematic things, right? Where if you are in support of BIPOC communities and of um, uh, AAPI, anybody for that matter, for quality and inclusion, it makes sense to do something big to show your support. I don't think that this was necessarily the way to do it. I think there are other ways that could have been more impactful than to say, hey, Golden Globes, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association doesn't have a single person of color on the board. Like, you could have done something different other than just be like, I'm going to give back all my globes and that will show them. I, I don't know. I don't think it had the effect maybe that he intended. He's got, you know, morals. You know, morals are great. I'm just saying, if you're going to take a stand, like there are probably more effective ways that actually would help the community that you're trying to show that you want to help than just giving your globes back to the Hollywood Ford press. Hmm. You think he ran, ran them back? Like he grabbed them and he's oh. like, here, take them back. 
I think he rode the side of a train down to the Hollywood Foreign Press offices, got off of it, scaled the building without any help or spotters. Then he like went in through some sort of pipe. He crawled out of the pipe, then came up through the floor, which is also the ceiling of the floor beneath it, moved a tile and was like, I'm here, suckers, here are my globes. And then he walked out the front door. Man, Tommy Cruz. <laughs> if your mission is possible... I don't want it. Only the impossible ones. Yeah. I want to see like the the B team. Like they get all the possible missions, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's me. You know, <laughs> and then he gets the impossible ones. So. Perfect. Uh, what else? I think we talked through it all. Yeah, we we did it. We did it. What would you give the grade for this one? The first one. I mean, I think it gets a solid A minus. You know, that it's a great watch uh, ahead of its time in many ways. Like I said, and. It sets the stage for the future movies. But is it perfect? No. A minus. Yeah. I'd probably say B plus, A minus, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A 90. They get better. That's the craziest thing about this franchise is they get better as it goes along. It's got a weird uh, Fast and the Furious type thing to it where it seems like they needed a couple under their belt to like figure out what worked, what didn't. And now, especially the last couple in terms of Mission Impossible have been gangbusters. So... Mm-hmm. Who knows what they have for the next one involved? I know they had a lot of trouble filming it. You know, that weird thing came out about him yelling at people about their their mask and stuff. Again, Tom Tommy likes to control things. Uh, but I'm excited to see, like, sky's the limit. They might put him in space. Who knows? I know he wants to do a space movie. And he's trying to race to do that. So just calm down. Calm down. Calm down, Tom. Like, he wants to do it all. I mean, I know with Scientology, he does not, I'm sure. But I thought to myself, like, does he take Ritalin? He must have some sort of, like... Of course not. I, that's why I just said. I know with Scientology, of course not. But... This is his Ritalin. Like, putting himself in really dangerous, you know, situations, that's his Ritalin, apparently. Basically, yeah. Oh, wow. I know. Oh, well. Anyway. Anyway. Fun times. Yay! Yay! Guys, mm. you won't believe what we're doing next week. So it's impossible. We're, we're continuing the celebration of our, our 12th wedding anniversary and what perfect week uh, to continue. But next week our, we're doing our eighties horror uh, miniseries with Chris Brayton, where we're watching eighties horror movies we've never seen before. The last one, it was just me and Chris. We watched the stuff, but this month, this next week coming up, we watched a movie from 1989 that we highly suggest everyone watch before you listen next week. It is on Vudu for free. There's ads that suck, but this movie is worth it because it's so bonkers. And Chrissy watched it with us, and we're going to talk about it. It is called Death Spa. Death Spa. You don't even don't even look up the trailer for this one. Just 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 cue it up on Vudu. The Late poster night for the movie. That's what you should look at. Just the poster. You like bonkers, crazy '80s horror movies? This is the one. We had a lot of fun watching it and talking about it with Chris. That is next week. Other than that, Chrissy, where can we find us on the interwebs? We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Movie Geek Cast, and you can download us at Soy Mirity Movie Geek on all the podcasts, podcasters, casts, whatever. It is a mission possible to find us. We are impossible to, to not find, is what we're saying. Yeah. We're everywhere. Yeah. Haunting you. Forever. Forever. Forever and ever. In your dreams. This is where we bring back in the Mission Impossible music and stuff. So, yay. yay. 
Hope everyone is uh, doing well. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you. You the best. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>